Okay, now we're going to talk about roles in the church. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 15. Now, he's going to talk about, really we can divide these, these eight verses into two sections. We're going to talk about man in worship. Okay, we're only going to see that in verse 8. And then verses 9 through 15, he's going to talk about the role of women in worship. Okay, so we're going to spend a lot of time, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of discussion today, hope we have a lot of discussion, as we talk about uh, what, what the Scripture teaches. Okay, so this would be a very, very hot topic for us. So why don't we start with verse 8. Look at what he says there. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Okay, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So the first thing I want you to see about his instructions here is this, is that the phrase, I desire is better translated, I will, or I command. A better translation would be, I will, or I command. Because somebody could look at verse 8, depending on which translation you're using, and say, well, you know, Paul's just kind of given us his preference here. All right? Paul's just kind of giving us his desire. You know, like, you know, if you were to ask George, George, what do you desire as far as vacation? Well, every year I desire to go to the beach, okay? Now, do I go to the beach every year? No. Why? I have a family that has an equal vote, and they say no, okay? So when I say I desire, like if we have our family meeting, what are we going to do this year? I desire, they already, they already know, they don't even have to ask me. Dad wants to go to the beach. But I'm just one vote, okay? So my desire is just expressing my what? preference. It's better translated here, the words that are being used here, it's better translated, I will or I command. Okay, so what he's going to share here is very important. Okay, so the apostle is expressing the importance of his instructions concerning their gatherings. Now, Timothy is one of the epistles where we have Certain instructions concerning the gatherings of the church. Okay, so first of all, I want everybody to understand when we talk about a church service, we're really talking about a gathering. Because who's the church? You are. This is a meeting house. Do you understand what I'm saying? It has no other significance than that the church gathers here. Okay? So when we talk about a gathering of the church, he gives specific instructions concerning that gathering. Another one would be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 concerning the exercising of gifts in the gathering. Okay, There are other places like Matthew 18 concerning the issue of discipline, church discipline in the gathering. Jesus gives some instructions there. So he's going to give some instructions concerning they're the gatherings of the church, all right? So now notice now, he's going to talk about the issue of worship with regards to men. All right, so here's what he does. 
He instructs that prayer in every gathering should be given by men. Men should be praying. Now, he instructs that men were to pray with uplifted hands. Now, basically what he's saying is like this. You're to pray like this. Now, have you stopped for a moment? Have you noticed when we have a prayer meeting or a prayer service, most people in our congregation don't pray like this? You might see that during music, right? Okay? Very rarely do you see that ever in our type of church with regards to prayer. So here's the other thing I want you to see. This manner of prayer was the accepted way among Jews and the early church. This was the accepted manner among Jews and the early church. Now, every church has its own manner of praying. The point is is that they pray. What I want you to see here is Paul's main thing is is that he desires men to pray. And he tells them to do it with uplifted hands because that's, you know, he's writing from his perspective of culture back then because that's what they would do back then. They would pray with uplifted hands. So the main emphasis now is praying, okay? Praying, that they should pray. Now, here's the attitude. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time here with the attitude in prayer. Because I think we struggle with this, whether you're a man or a woman, okay? Prayers must be given with an attitude that is not marked by anger or belligerence or doubting. You can add doubting in there as well. Prayers must be given with an attitude that is not marked by anger and belligerence and doubting, okay? And doubting. So when you pray, when you come to worship together and you're praying corporately, you can't come with your attitude. And you can't come doubting. Now you say, that's interesting that Paul would say that. Do you have any other support for that? Well, let's take the issue of anger and belligerence. Anger and belligerence. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you come to the altar, let me turn there, Matthew, verse 22, he talks about the issue of anger. Okay, in chapter 5, verse 22, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause is in the danger of the judgment. Okay, verse 23 Still in the context of anger, listen to what Jesus says. If you bring your gift to the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, verse 24, leave your gift and there before the altar and go your way. First become reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. So there it's talking about the issue of worship. And what is the attitude that you can't have if you're going to come to worship, Jesus is saying. Anger. Okay? So Paul's saying the same thing here. Now let's talk about the issue of doubting. Go now to James chapter 1. The letter of James chapter 1. Here it's talking about praying for wisdom. 
But look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no, what? Doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed by the wind. For let let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So again, so let's go back to 1 Timothy. Chapter 2. Look with me at verse 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Look at what it says. Without what? Wrath, anger, belligerence, and what's the next part? Doubting. Okay? So it's an issue of being in right relationship with what? Other people. And also walking in faith with who? God. You know what I'm saying? So if you're going to pray, that's the way that he's talking about there. How are we doing? When I look at this, I have to say to myself, I'm not doing too well. Do you know what I'm saying? Because, are you saying, are you walking around in a perpetual state of anger? No. Although my family might say that I am, but no, okay? But here's the other thing. Do I walk around with doubts? Yes, right? Okay. So that's what he's calling us to. So he's about concerning men and worship. Now let's look at the issue of women. He's going to get a little bit more specific here. You're going to say, wow, he only devoted one verse to men, and he's going to devote the other seven to the issue of women in corporate worship? Yes, and we're going to discuss why here in a second. So let's look at the verses. We're looking at verse 9 through 15. In like manner also, women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Okay, George. That's almost politically not correct, right? Well, let's talk about it, okay? Theologically, the, the there is a theological perspective called complementarianism with regards to the role of men and women, and this is one of the bases of complementarian teaching, in which we are a complementarian church, okay? So let me just kind of explain to you what we see here, and you need to understand what we see here, okay? Now, let me go ahead and qualify this. This is with regards to what? What are his instructions here concerning? Are we talking about life in general in the culture, or are we talking about something a little bit more specific? Yeah, concerning church. Okay, so don't take what is being said here and taking it out into a context where it does not apply, which is the world. Okay? So let's put it into its perspective. 
So let's talk about concerning women. The first thing he's going to talk about is one that causes lots of, lots of anger, lots of controversy. Uh, but if we look at what it's saying here, I think you can get a better perspective because churches have gotten legalistic over this, okay? Legalistic over it, and that has to do with appearance, okay? With the issue of appearance. So let me just stop for a moment. I know that we have folks here who've been to a lot of different churches through the years. Have, do you remember a time when you felt like it was very strict how women should dress in church? You heard that, right? Okay. All right, so, and, and a lot of times what they would use is these verses. Okay? So let's talk about what it is saying, and then we'll, from that we can deduce what it's not saying. Okay? So for instance, these verses would be used to say to women, don't wear pants to church. How many of you ever heard that? Don't wear pants. The only people who are meant to wear pants are who? Men. Okay, interesting. From a culture when men wore dresses. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. So let's, let's take a look at what it's saying here. Okay. First of all, he begins his discussion concerning women by addressing the manner of dress. So he's going to begin the discussion concerning women in the worship service by addressing the manner of dress, how they're dressed. Okay? He states, Paul states, that women are to dress in a modest manner for the gathering. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Verse 9, that one phrase, in modest apparel, is a very broad statement that you could make it into anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when we talked about the rule where women were not to wear slacks, okay, that was put into this phrase, in modest apparel. Or women are supposed to not wear shorts, they're supposed to wear culottes. Remember those? That's that hybrid thing that looked like a skirt, but was actually a pair of shorts, you know what I'm saying, that Christian women wore 30 years ago. Thankfully, it's not around anymore, although there are some groups that still use it, Okay. That was all fit into this topic, but I want you to understand when he's talking about modesty here, he has a bigger perspective going on than the particular clothes that a person is wearing. And we're going to see that here in a moment, okay? We're going to see that here in a moment. So Paul states that women were to dress in a modest manner for a gathering. The issue concerns not drawing attention to oneself in a gathering. The issue concerns not drawing attention to oneself in the gathering. All right, so let's stop for a moment. The issue isn't the clothing. Although some clothing, okay, but... Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen to me for a moment. The greater issue is, is who is drawing attention to oneself. Because when you gather into worship, 
when you're gathering as a church, who's your focus supposed to be on? God. Okay. So, okay, so we can have all kinds of, you know, women are to wear dresses, this, that, or another. Okay, stop for a moment. Have you ever met a lady who dressed according to the rules of the church, but yet she dressed in such a way that everybody was like, wow, look at her. And she was dressed according to the rules, right? She was dressed to the hilt. She was in, according to Paul's perspective here, in violation of verse 9. Why? Because she may have been dressed, quote, modestly, but she was dressed in a way to what? Draw attention to herself. See, this is the issue. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, yes, there are forms of clothing that draw more attention to yourself, and people should, you know, be aware of that. But the greater issue is, he's saying to women, is listen, dress in a way that doesn't draw attention to your, what? Selves. Now, he's not advocating that you wear the burqa. What's a burqa? That's what Muslim women in Saudi Arabia wear, covered head to toe. That's not what he's talking about here. Okay? What he's talking about, though, is you're not drawing what? Attention to yourself. You're not distracting the service. You're not distracting the worship, the corporate gathering. That's the bigger issue here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, here's what happens, though, because we're human beings. Because we're human beings, we hear a general principle. We've got to make up specific rules to make that happen. Okay, so if we don't want anybody being drawing attention to themselves, we need to say, can't dress like this, can't dress like this, can't dress like this. Well, the problem is is that, yeah, people won't dress like that, but they can still draw attention to themselves even within that what? Rule. Do you understand? Even within the rule. So the issue concerns not drawing attention to oneself in the gathering. So, here, why? The focus needs to be on character that reflects godliness and good works. The focus needs to be on character that reflects what? Godliness and good works. See, the focus doesn't need to be on how good you look. The focus needs to be on how good you are. Do you understand what I'm saying? It needs to be on your character and the things that you do in service for the Lord. Now, just real quick, I want you to look at the verse, just so you understand what I'm talking about. It's not talking specifically about clothing in, in a specific sense, but in a general sense. Look at what he says here about drawing attention to oneself. He talks, look at verse 9, not with braided hair. I think we're doing okay here today. I don't see anybody walking around with pigtails. Nope, nope, we're doing okay today, okay? See, that's what he's talking about here, braided hair. What else does he say? Gold or pearls or costly clothing. What's the issue there? The issue, again, is drawing attention to yourself. What is he saying? But verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness. You want women to express who they are as a person. That's what he's saying here, okay? That's what he's saying here. Now, he goes on and he talks about the attitude of women. 
Now, this is where we're going to get into some interesting conversation. Verse 11, let me read it to you. But other woman learned in silence with all submission. What? Well, let's talk about that, the attitude. Paul states that women are to receive instruction with quietness and full submission. Now, again, the word submission here is does not mean obedience. Okay? It's not the same word. But rather, it is a reflective of a role. Okay? Reflective of your role. You're placing yourself beneath someone. Okay? So, let me give you a historical note here, because you're going to be like, what in the world is he saying that even like during Sunday school time, I can't say anything? All right, listen, here's the historical note. I put it in your notes. The purpose of Paul's instructions concerning the role of women in a church gathering sought to address the existence of militancy among some women in the Gentile church. So even back in Paul's day, they had feminism. Okay? They had feminism. This is what the perspective is when you come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it talks about women worshiping with a head covering on. They were dealing in the Corinthian church with a militancy that said, I'm, I'm okay with Jesus, I can throw off the cultural norms and do what I want to do. Okay? So, Paul is stressing that women should not attempt to turn the tables on gender roles in the church by clamoring for the office of congregational teacher or by grasping for authority over men. He also addresses the issue of his instructions to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16. So, this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about... Not so much the issue of being quiet, but the issue of roles in the church. Okay? So let's go on. Verse 12, Paul commands the woman is not to be a congregational teacher. Now let me just stop for a moment. Even in their day, when it came to the instruction of the children, who did that responsibility primarily lay with? Anybody? Women. That's right, Nancy. Even in their day, the instruction of children lay with the woman. That's not what he's... So he's not talking about here teaching in the sense of all teaching in the church, but he's talking about teaching with regards to a specific sense, and that is when the church gathers for what? Worship. Okay? Worship. So, the apostle commands that the woman is not to be a congregational ruler or leader. Does that mean she can't be a leader in the church? No, but it means that she can't be the congregational leader or ruler, rulers of the church, okay? So, he's going to go on then in verse 13 through 15 and talk about the issue of headship. Where does this come from, George? Because this isn't how we function in our culture. I understand that, but this is the way that he's saying in our churches we are to function. And it comes from a biblical model of headship. So look at verse 13. He's going to talk about the creative order. 
Paul presents God's creative order concerning man and woman as his support. He'll do this throughout the New Testament. He'll present that man was created first and then woman out of man. He's talking about roles there. All right? Then he'll talk, in verse 14, he'll talk about the fall of mankind. Paul also points out that Eve, not Adam, was deceived by Satan and the fall. He's not blaming everything on Eve, but he's saying, with regards to roles here, Eve is the one who fell, but Eve then, what, got Adam to eat, he willingly ate, I guess when he saw that she wasn't struck dead immediately, of the fruit. So now we're going to talk about verse 15, what true satisfaction is. And then we're going to open it up for questions. Okay? Paul points out that a woman's true satisfaction is found in motherhood. Because you might look at that and say, wait a minute now, she shall be saved in childbearing. The word salvation there is not reflective, saved is not reflective of salvation. It's talking about fulfillment. Okay? Fulfillment. This satisfaction comes as they pursue faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Okay? Faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So there, he's kind of giving a perspective on the role of women. Okay? He's giving a perspective, which we saw earlier, is really better translated, I command, I will. All right? 